Hi everyone, and welcome to Stars in My Pocket. I'm Anissa, and this is a very special bonus episode, a movie deep dive on Black Panther, which Borrow and I enjoyed so much that we simply couldn't not talk about it. Sadly, our initial recording of the episode disappeared into the ether, and we had to do a second go, which is why we're a bit late, but we hope you enjoy regardless. And on a very exciting note, Thank you so much for getting us to 100 subscribers on YouTube. Yay! We are so touched and we feel so blessed that you all are out there listening to us squee and rant and philosophize about Korean dramas and the occasional, you know, other thing that we love. We love you. Thank you. And enjoy the episode. Yay! Black Sampo! So, full disclosure, we recorded this whole thing. Once before, yeah. Yes, and we were very excited, and then we found out that the recording had not actually come through. So, we're doing this again, but we're still very excited. Yeah, we are. And maybe it's a good thing, because I think the last recording, we were uh, squeeing so much, there was not much critical thinking happening. This is true, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, you know what, I, I want to start by asking you how you felt when you first heard that Black Panther was announced, like it was going to come out in two years. It was in 2016 that I first heard about it. And uh, I, okay, you tell me first how you felt about it. Okay, so I think they announced it before Civil War came out, um, because Civil War came out, I think, May of 2016, right? So okay. I was not really sure what to think about this, because I didn't have any, like, I, I've never read the Black Panther comics or anything, but I was like, cool, a black superhero, this should be good if it's in the right, you know, hands. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Civil War came out, and he was awesome in that, although his accent was a little bit... But, you know, mostly, like, his character's really good. The the way they incorporated him into that story was really good. And then when they announced um, Ryan Coogler was directing it, yeah. that's when I really started to get excited. Because you watched Creed. Uh, Creed, and I loved Creed, yeah. <clears throat> and I haven't seen Fruitvale Station, but I've heard really yeah. good things about it. Yeah, so when he was really young when he got that project, too. So, talent... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's pretty, I mean, he's not that old considering the kind of work he's done so far. He's a very impressive person. And if you listen to his, like, I I remember listening to a couple of his interviews after he did Creed and he was so, like, low-key and, you know, he's not full of himself. You know, we have that, like, um, director, there's this director stereotype. How do I put this? Like, the genius white man who just kind of... Uh, like is a dictator on set and everybody puts up with it because he's so smart. Like you just don't get that vibe from Ryan Coogler. He's so down to earth. and He's yeah, he's so collaborative. He's so awesome. So I was very excited to see what he would do. Oh my God. Yes. Um, uh, there was this, I, I told you in the, in the last, well, the field podcast, uh, that uh, Vandy Fair did this uh, video. It's, it's on YouTube. I, I'll link it below. Um, um, For sure. Where they invited Rand Kugler to come and discuss a fight scene. And he chose the casino fight scene to explain. And his enthusiasm, like it comes out in all interviews that he's done about Black Panther. But in that scene, you could see the nerdiness in him come out. And it's delightful. <laughs> And we're going to talk more about that uh, in a bit, but I wanted to um, I, I wanted to tell you what I thought when uh, the Black Panther movie was first announced. Um, 
I I was not super excited because I was at least 60% sure that it was not going to be something I would enjoy. So till now, Marvel has had um, two important uh, black characters. Um, uh, that would be War Machine and Falcon, right? Both uh, secondary uh, sort of like backups to important white male heroes. And um, both... Uh, military men, uh, men of, you know, honor, dignity, and all of that stuff. But there is this uh, trope that Hollywood does where black men are either from the hood or they are military men who are, you know, very upright and trustworthy and honorable and all of that. But it's like th- those are the two stereotypes. So if he, if or he's it's a, a guy from man, the hood that went to the military and, and became, then got, you know, then got upright and honest. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> So it, it's, it, it's yeah, it's very thing. narrow. So between mm-hmm. Falcon and um, uh, War Machine, I I couldn't actually see like I know they are played by amazing actors, but it, what they did in Iron Man, they swapped out one black man for another between uh, two movies. Like I actually I really like Terrence Howard as uh, James Brody, um, James Rhodes uh, Brody, and I was really disappointed when uh, he was replaced. And but the thing is. Essentially, uh, it didn't actually make much of a difference to the larger narrative. I just like that actor in particular, but really, I mean, what difference did it make? I, I suppose, yes, Rhodey had, uh, you know, as War Machine, he had a role to play, uh, especially in the second movie, but nah, you know, like, he's, he's, his is not yeah. the character that you take home and think about and, and have a discourse on. My point is that um, big uh, Hollywood blockbusters have not done black characters justice historically. So, uh, Absolutely. so keeping that in mind, I was, I, I was not super excited about black. I, like, I love the idea, but I was bracing myself for disappointment. Okay, so that's what, and then, and then, my God, you saw T'Challa, in Civil War, and he was amazing. It that was so completely unexpected. I um I, I loved everything about the way they introduced him, the way they showed his uh, character's motivation. They revealed so much about his character in a very short span of time. Like he didn't have he, his he didn't have um, uh, too many scenes in the movie, but the ones that were there were amazing. Like those were the scenes that people went home and really talked about because after a long time you had a black hero with so much agency his actions were not dependent on his white heroic friends decisions like in civil war uh the two black men uh follow their two white friends like i'm sorry i'm repeatedly using uh you know black and white but you know what i mean right just, yeah, no, no, it's totally the the optics of that. Yeah, the optics of that. War, War Machine and Falcon follow their respective white heroic friends to both sides. It it no, and, seem to, and like also they had. yeah, go on. Yeah, and to your point, like he in that movie, he doesn't play the villain, but he's definitely an antagonist, and he has a lot of really great points because these two guys are like on the opposite side of this philosophical debate, which eventually just becomes like you know, more about their bromance and the betrayal of their <laughs> bromance and the one guy being chosen over the other guy and, like, I thought you were my friend and all this, but, like, meanwhile, he's like, my dad just got killed. 
Yeah. You two are, like, having this, like, stupid power trip, and he's like, I just want to get the person who killed my dad, and I don't care if you're friends with him or if whoever it is. He's like, you know, like, he's very noble, and he has a purpose, and you can understand his motivation. He's, like, not there for these two dudes, like, BS. Yeah. So I... You can tell from that that he's an impressive person, and it makes you excited to see what he's going to do in his own movie. Totally. I mean, even aside from the action scene, that beautiful tunnel chase, um, even aside from that, mm-hmm. it, I, I love that they uh, had him, uh, T'Challa, uh, kind of make that decision whether or not to execute Zemo. That was so, that was so nicely done, and, and again, you know, agency that 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 right there yeah. told you that this character was different from black heroes introduced in the marvel pantheon until now i'm just going to call them and that imagery was there yeah sorry go on. yeah and and that imagery of him leaving his claw marks against captain america's oh, shield i, I was like oh yeah. that symbolism Powerful i like that man. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is so amazing so how did you feel right after watching the movie Oh my gosh, you know, as soon as the ending credits came up, with, you know, it has their names and those, like, stylized pictures, my oh. eyes teared up. Like, I didn't cry for the whole thing, because I was like, I need to watch every frame. I have, I can't, can't miss anything. But as soon as the ending credits came up, I was just, like, emotionally overcome. I was, I was so moved. Like, I was like, what did I just watch? Like, this is amazing. I didn't believe that I would ever be able to see a movie like this. And we just did. Like, oh my god. So that was my initial reaction and then I went home and I started thinking about like no in the car on the way home I started thinking about all the just I can't believe all the the themes that this movie brings up that I was not expecting a Marvel movie to bring up that was really what blew me away the most I know I know and and I love how much freedom was given to the writers of this movie like um you had Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole bringing in ideas and conflicts that I don't even even um, most mainstream movies are just not brave enough to bring out to the public and yes they are doing it in, in a sort of a uh, parable form it's it's not real you know in so much as Wakanda is not a real place but the conflicts are so immediate and so relevant to today like right now so it's just I, I could not, I, it was so unexpected, and it gave me chills. Yeah, especially, yeah, especially given that it's a Disney Marvel, you know, that's like a, like a conglomerate that's known for keeping really tight rein on the people it hires and its directors, and like, like, you know, they're kind of notorious for being extremely, not micromanaging, but they definitely have a very strong idea of like, what kind of movies their company is going to make, and they're not willing to like, you know, um, let people just run free, which is probably in some ways good to some extent because it means the vision is very, like the Marvel universe is very, you know, like it, you can tell it's been well thought out, well planned. It makes sense. The movies are different enough that you enjoy them, but they still kind of fit into the same thing. But like with this one, they just kind of, you can you can tell that they were like, okay, Ryan Coogler, do your thing. We trust you. And that's awesome. Like you can see that on screen and it's really thrilling to watch. Um. I uh, so I, I found out that uh, apparently when Marvel first uh, announced their you know phase one of slew of movies uh, back when what 2004 five uh, like very early on they had already said that there would be a Black Panther movie 
Okay, and um, okay. So that was like really uh, far back, and uh, uh, Mark Bailey was hired to uh, write the script initially, and uh, by the time like uh, T'Challa was introduced in Civil War, and um, they had like a lot of script changes, a lot of production uh, you know changes stuff happened, and then Cole and Kugler came in. So Cole is a, a alumnus of uh, Marvel's uh, writing workshop, like they have an in-house workshop and then he met up with Kugler to write this script and Kugler, as we know, loves Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> so there is some speculation that if Boseman hadn't already been uh, cast as Black Panther, maybe he would have liked to cast Jordan. But I honestly think that he, 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 him casting Jordan as Killmonger was genius. Like, I, I can't imagine anybody else playing this character the way Jordan played it. And my God, was he memorable. It's been said repeatedly that he has to be one of the best Marvel... No, not one. The best Marvel villain. Yeah, created. he's the best. Totally hands down. Yeah, he's like, the best Marvel villain so far. And I don't think anyone's going to be able to usurp that title anytime soon. He was, yeah, I agree. Brilliant in that role. Right? He would have been wasted as the Black Panther, in my opinion. And also that Boseman brings a, a certain grace and, uh, I don't know, a quiet dignity to the role. And I, I'm sure Jordan would have had his own spin on it, but... I just really like Boseman's interpretation of Black Panther, especially in this movie where he, despite um, uh, you know be, being the namesake, uh, he was not actually the focus of the movie. It's it was mm. Wakanda, like this entire ensemble cast, and and not just Boseman. But coming back to what I was saying, every character here has has a lot of depth and, and many facets, which I which I love. But without the villains root of conflict i don't think the movie would have been what it is so no so like if you think about what the root conflict of this movie is basically you have this extremely privileged royal you know heir to the throne that's always known that he's going to be king of this country that has never been colonized is extremely independent the most advanced nation in the world and they're like kind of hidden and protected so they don't really have to worry about um being invaded or attacked by anyone for the most part and then you have this, um, you know, their abandoned nephew of the former king who grew up in really, like really rough circumstances in a tough uh, environment in America where he's, you know, as a black man in America with everything that that, you know, entails. And then you and you have them kind of clashing and their philosophies clashing. And that kind of becomes such an amazing metaphor for like this whole conversation and that we're having right now and that, you know, that we've had to sort of it's it's like a conversation that in, in this country, for sure, I'm sure in other places, too, people have been having and struggling with for a long time. And it's amazing how they sort of bring those two perspectives together. And and, and then like everybody is even though Killmonger, his way of going about trying to fix what he sees is wrong is very problematic. But what he sees is wrong is actually it's true. Like. His 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 grievances against Wakanda are true. He's like, you know, all these people are suffering around the world, black people, but also just like regular people. And you guys are sitting here on your little mountain, all cozy and you're super rich and you have all this technology and you just don't care. And you're just more more worried about your own safety and your own protection. Like, it's true. It's kind of and it's something that eventually has an impact on all the other characters in the movie, even though they don't come around to his exact 
philosophy, but they're all changed in some way. And especially T'Challa is really impacted and he totally changes his whole ruling philosophy, which is really, it's great to see that, you know, it's not like two guys who fight to the death and the villain gets killed and that's over. Now, now he's gone, you know, like he's out of our way now. We can just go back to our regular lives being heroes. Yeah. It's very different. Okay, I remember the point that I was actually trying to make and then kind of digress to it. Kuhla was handed this entirely pre-made world and all of that. That was amazing. They did so much research. But it, it seems to me that given how much Kuhla loves Jordan, he put a lot of effort into making sure that this amazing villain isn't just a villain, but he is an anti-hero. Like, he's a tragic, mm. heroic character. And someone pointed Absolutely. it out uh, that Killmonger is, his entire journey is essentially a heroic journey. Um, like he, he has, he has a tragic backstory, yes, but he, he, the, the way he emerges, like think of all the other uh, superheroes in the world. Oh, uh, I think somebody uh, compared him to Batman about uh, losing his parent at a very young age having to uh, sort of, you know, be alone and train himself for years and years and years under really difficult circumstances just to, with, uh, you know, a goal of vengeance. Mm. Yeah, work towards it very diligently and then finally try to execute that plan. Now, again, um, I mean, the, the difference is that he did not care about casualties in the way of his plan. He was right. His motivation was right. He, the the point he was trying to make is very true. And again, I'm quoting somebody else. I wish I could remember whom. Um, when they say that villains don't believe, think that they are villainous, Gilmunger definitely doesn't think he's villainous because the point he's trying to make is very logical. He's not like Joker who's, who's completely lost his mind because of a trauma. Yeah. He has a very, he can explain, like, if you have an argument with him, he's, he, he's, well, well-educated, of course, he can, he can argue the point, but he can argue the point and convince you that he is right. The only part where we as an audience can't support him is in his execution of, you know, the solution that he envisions. So. Exactly. Yeah, so he's an anti-hero, and man, I, I was hoping so hard that he wouldn't spoiler, die in the end. That was that was yeah. so hard. Like till the last moment I was like even when he was stabbed, I was thinking, okay, now something will happen and he's going to like switch sides and they're gonna be cousins against the world and yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> I would have liked to see that. I mean I I mean I get his reasoning for because it fits into his very kind of extreme, like, all-or-nothing philosophy, but I kind of wish he had said yes when um, Tatala was like, maybe we can still heal you, and he's like, no. <laughs> I was like, why are you saying no? Dude, <laughs> this is like the brother you could have had, you know? Oh, God, he wants yeah. to be your brother. Yeah. He, was, he, yeah. in that, I love, the, I love the way they framed that moment where he knew everything he had lost, every, the opportunity to know his, um, motherland his or his father's homeland he, he had clearly grown up wishing to see Wakanda wishing to experience Wakanda as his father had told him about the place but he never could and he never could be a part of it because he was just too far gone down along along the path of anger and vengeance and he just couldn't bring himself back 
and his conviction yeah. was so uh, deeply rooted at, at this point that he really did believe that you know uh, his way was the only way to make things right in the world so yeah yeah and even if he had come around to understanding even if he didn't agree with him even if he sort of understood a little bit of what Tashala was saying like he wasn't willing to compromise his journey i guess and you know like there it's kind of a, this trope with with villains that we get we get it a lot in korean dramas too it's like i've come too far down this path i yeah. can't turn back now and usually i'm just like rolling my eyes like dude <laughs> all you have to do is turn around and walk back the way you came you know like not that big of a deal yeah but with him you can actually feel the weight of all the pain and the like the all the stuff that he went through growing up and all the the violence that he's gone you know like the training that he went through in the military and the black ops training and all of the people whose blood he has on his hands and literally whose you know murdered lives he's marked into his body like you can see why he would feel that he cannot change at this point yeah. and why he would be unwilling to do that he's it's believable literally scarred from that yes. life <laughs> yeah exactly he's literally scarred for life <laughs> So, yeah, with him it's actually I mean the, the motivations in this for all the characters in this movie are just so incredibly fully realized and it just like the world is fully realized. Like they spent so much time working on the details and I really really love that. True. And it really shows in um like from the moment these characters are introduced uh so it's essentially a three act uh script, right? And I was sort of trying to figure out where the acts end and I think the first act uh, pretty much ends when uh, Dichala gets crowned as king. So mm -hmm. or at least until then. So th in that first act now, I I told you before that the first time I watched it that first part kind of felt a bit slow to me. The second time not at all. I was noticing so many other things but I think the first part felt a bit slow to me simply the first time it felt a bit slow to me the first about what 13 minutes or so because mm -hmm. even though there was a, there were action scenes happening like uh, tachara uh, going and getting uh, what's her name nakia nakia yes. out of her mission like extracting her out of her mission um him going and having the 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 uh, fight at, at the uh, was it the warrior falls right it's, it's the warrior falls um and it, it's so a lot is happening it just somehow the pacing seemed quieter not slow just quieter and I, i it was it was bewildering me and then i realized that all marvel movies before this they they had set up a certain expectation in my head about the pacing it, it's usually a lot more snap and go like you don't have time to mm. breathe it things are always happening people are always changing one liners stuff is always moving your your brain is always being sort of like pummeled with different scenes and, and and different information whereas here they just let you soak in the world and man this world it's just i like i don't know how they did it but in my head wakanda is a fully realized country and i don't think we saw too many shots of the place and yet i i can imagine how people would live there like a everyday functioning life i can imagine that so how how completely amazing is that 
Yeah, well, because they needed to do that, right? Because we're not just in a slightly fictionalized version of New York or like, you know, Washington, like we have been with a lot of the other, which is already a place that we have a reference for, even if we haven't lived there ourselves. But we've seen so many movies that like, and, and we've read so many books and comic books that like, it's a, it's a character already, you know, it's a place that we know and we can just jump into, and plus we've had so many movies, like this is the 18th Marvel movie and the other 17 have all been set in the U.S. for the most part. Uh, so obviously. with this, like it really deserved, yeah. And it, it's such a different place. It's a place that doesn't exist in our real world, sadly, because there is no part of Africa that has been untouched by colonization. And yet here we have this country that is impossible and yet beautiful country. <laughs> you, you say that, but now at this point, I have been completely convinced that Wakanda could very well exist. And, and that's kind of the power of movies, right? Like in some corner of your mind, they if, if they can just manage to convince mm. you that this could exist, that's sometimes all you need. Like it changes your perception about a place so completely think about the image of africa that well uh, yeah most of the world has had till now because of news channels always bombarding us with images of practically the poorest part of, of, of that continent of showing us like the worst images of a country it, that really seeps into your consciousness right so when you think mm. africa you yeah. either think lion or you think a dictator and somehow I guess everybody's living right between the two it's just that there, there doesn't seem to be anything else when yeah you yeah. think about that place now when you think about Africa there's a fairly good chance that you're going to think of Wakanda first and that's just I mean that's just so amazing yeah and even like beyond the, the fictional place that feels very real like there, there is, you know, in reality, like modern cities and a lot of resources and like oh, yeah. high education. You know, like there's all this stuff there that nobody ever talks about. Like the the first university was started by a black Muslim woman in in Timbuktu in Africa. Like no one ever talks about that. And 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 even like in the movie, there's one line where Michael B. Jordan says like all of humanity started on this continent, so all people are our people. Like he just throws that line out there and but like there's a lot of people who don't know that and they, they aren't willing to you know think about the world like that. And it's it's those little lines that are very I mean, it's a small revolution in a way because it's upending all these things that we're normally sort of subliminally getting in movies about that it you know, it's like this internalized kind of under the surface white yeah. supremacy in like every Hollywood movie that we've ever watched almost, Absolutely. especially these big mainstream blockbusters. True. So that is, it's, it's big. It's like a, it's a big thing that happens in a lot of small moments. Um, can we talk about Shuri speaking of colonizers? Because she had some of the best lines. I was just thinking of that moment where like Martin Freeman wakes up and, she, and she's like, don't scare me like that colonizer, <laughs> which is another great moment, which is just, I was like, what is it? Is this a Disney Marvel movie? Like, what just happened? <laughs> I know. So how, how, how did Disney and Marvel suddenly get this brave? That that was that was so good. And look, it was it was gentle fun being poked at them. And that was it's not like they made it palatable, like they, they made it sort of like milksop. It it's they uh, brought in humor to drive home truths that Otherwise, would have been really hard for people to accept. 
like look no white person no matter how sympathetic they are would enjoy being called colonizer okay cuz nobody likes to be reminded of that part of history but it's right. just the way shuri does it, it it's a joke and it's a joke that's not mean spirited so you know yeah you kind of like haha that was funny and then you move on cuz there's really nothing more to say there cuz it's the truth so now you move on the joke yeah and and you're right like they did a really good job of i mean the movie is very entertaining and it's funny and it's really enjoyable to watch but it also doesn't shy away from these truths or like water them down like you're saying it just kind of goes for it you know and you're like wow they went there and and like and there's some kind of magic with this cast and this team and the way they've set up this world where like I mean, I'm not a white person, but I'm not really too concerned about <laughs> what other people felt about while watching this movie cuz like the people who really needed to see this movie like they loved it and I feel like like from the response I've seen online and from different people like I think everyone most people really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. You know, and and that's amazing. Like in order like to be able to hit you know all quadrants and every age group and every race background and and like all, like internationally like all over the world like it's been breaking records not just here but all over the world like that's amazing I, I, I can, I that's awesome vouch, i can vouch for india like it, it's been two weeks now and uh, theaters are still packed okay in my city it's hard to get a ticket so it it's big i promise you it's like huge even if you guys didn't look beyond your borders it's big cuz it's not just about yeah. it's amazing for the black community and i'm so happy for them but it's also so relevant to us like south asian kids for sure cuz we've dealt with colonization and and the effects like my country has been independent for decades and decades but it's it's still the this the post colonial hangover is heavy okay and um oh yeah yeah so oh yeah for sure it's just symbolism is so important to us there's a reason why certain sections of my country holds so hard onto what our ancients did like 3000 years ago cuz it it reminds us that we had value before we were colonized yeah no but it's i mean it's like what what we were talking about before it's a fantastical world and it's it does what like the best defense in science fiction does right it's, it allows you to talk about something very real in a fictional setting and gives you more freedom and hopefully will reach more people maybe because they're surprised by the subject matter and and it allows you to talk freely about something like that whereas yeah like it this whole thing like as also you know a child of a grandchild of people who went through the partition of India I felt that very strongly you know it's it's a, it's like the simultaneous joy and sadness you know when he sits on that throne when Killmonger sits on that throne and he says the sun will never set on the empire of wakanda and we're just like yeah that we've heard that before you know like who hasn't who, who doesn't know that line of the sun never sets on the british empire like it's it's so and it pushes back against that narrative that all these countries that are so-called third world countries which did you notice that the the white guy the CIA guy he continuously refers to wakanda as a third world country yeah, I think and like people don't really say that so much anymore yeah but he's yeah. from that generation that used to use that terminology mm. and like there's this there's this um you know 
kind of narrative that, yeah, it was terrible what, you know, European countries did to all these countries when they went and colonized them. But look, they couldn't have advanced to where they are now if it wasn't for us. So it's not all bad. You know, like the British put in railroads and they provided like the parliamentary system of government. And so like in the end, you know, like we did some bad stuff, but you guys aren't that badly off. You know, we helped you. There's like this underlying. And I think some people even from our communities kind of buy into that, like, okay, yeah, they colonized us, but, you know, like, I still want to go to England to, to get my degree from Oxford because that's always going to be better, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, like you said, that colonial hangover. So how amazing to see a country that has not lost their own culture, that hasn't lost their own, you know, their language and their art and their way of dressing, and yet have been able to take their own resources instead of having all their resources looted away and, you know, stored in the British Museum or yeah. in the, you know, Buckingham Palace, and have been able to create something amazing that other people want, you know? Sure. And they're on the top. And yeah, like, we don't have vibranium in real life, but, but you know, like, our countries have a lot of natural resources. We have a lot of human resources. We have a lot to be proud of in our history, and that was systematically stripped sure. away and stolen and, you know, destroyed, you know, very consciously and deliberately. So it's it's a mixed mixed feeling. It's watching it but it's very powerful here's the thing um i've grown up hearing about uh, the kohinu diamond uh, that was taken away um well some say sold some say stolen away from this country but essentially yes taken away from us um and uh, it, it, it was uh, it, it's part of the queen's uh, jewel uh, jewels like crown jewels yeah yeah so Crown jewels, yeah. now uh, uh, my country has been asking for it back like most countries whose you know inheritance like natural and and, and historical inheritances have, have been taken away by the british or other european countries have been asking for those things back and then most of them not receiving them so this one for instance has been a sort of like a sore subject for us for decades and, and the thing is that it's just something you grow up knowing and with no real expectation of ever getting that diamond back it just you don't you don't expect yeah. it but that scene yeah. where um <laughs> eric mongo walks into that museum and he's uh studying the wakanda art artifact oh, and that that was so good oh my god i, I look the thing is no i do not support him Killing them, killing those people, and, and, and taking that away. It's not about that. It's about that moment when he's like up in her face, and he's like, "Do you think your ancestors paid for these? Do you think they asked for permission?" Oh my God! That was uh, just... that line was just like was, that was like what maybe ten minutes into the movie, and I was like, "Oh, this movie oh. is gonna be something else." Like I was, oh. I was like just sitting up oh straight God. in my chair. I don't know what Gadget Angel was looking over the, the the crew of this movie. How how on earth were they allowed to do these scenes? Because I, I keep saying allowed because look, if it hadn't been a matter of censorship, then how have these scenes not happened before? How have has dialogue like this, conflict like this, not been shown on the big screen before? And oh, for sure. Right, so there had to be a certain amount of censorship happening in Hollywood, like self-censorship maybe, but it was there. So who was it? How was it that this script was conceived of and then passed and then produced without, oh, and, I don't you know, know, meddling? Yeah. yeah, and I just found out a few weeks ago that there is, and I kind of had an idea about this, but I didn't know it was so explicit. Every movie that references or shows, I think every movie that shows the U.S. military, um, 
the script has to pass through their hands and they have to approve it. Oh yeah, I, I, I saw so, a, a, a YouTube video essay about that. Again, link, I will, I will link it for the For sure. And so like, you know, in this kind of environment where you basically, we have like state propaganda coming out of Hollywood. It is very, you know, like when he um, and and I heard uh, some like a podcast interview with somebody who was saying that like they had a really big problem with um, the CIA being like being portrayed as a sympathetic character in this movie and being one of the heroes, even though you know like if you look at the title of the movie, it's Black Panther, and if you look at what the CIA has done to that political party in the past and how some of yeah. those people are still locked up in jail now, like I mean, it's a very deep topic. But he was like, why is this person? But in, I mean, I get that point. But at the same time, he, you have him there constantly being told you're a colonizer. You're, you, you know, can't like, speak, you, yeah. yeah, you can't speak. You don't get to have a voice. But then they end, he ends up helping them. But he also tells them like, yeah, like this guy came through our system. We're kind of part of the reason that he's so deadly. We taught him. And he says like the CIA, um, he, they're, they, that's what they do. They go in and stable and destabilize foreign countries yeah, when there's a transition of power. Yeah, I was like, oh my god! Like he just basically told them all this stuff that we've always known, but like no one ever acknowledges this, True. especially not on a big screen uh, and a movie that's going to be watched by so many people. It's just, it's like one of those dirty secrets that pe- people don't want to talk about. So, I, and I feel like him saying that as a CIA agent gave that gave that information more legitimacy and made it more. Um, you know, believable to the uh, to, to 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 audiences, not necessarily to the other characters. Then it would have been if it was just one of the Wakandan people who was like, "Yeah, you know that they do that," you know, because people people don't believe that stuff when we talk about it. They don't. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, then, and then it's then a conspiracy theory. Right. Exactly. So I feel like it was important for him to to have that background to because be it's there. like an okay. insider telling the secrets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point because, uh, as I said before, uh, in in the scrape podcast, uh, unrecorded podcast, uh, I couldn't actually see the point of uh, this guy. What's his name? What's his name? Free Marty Free. No, um, uh, Everett Ross. 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 Everett Ross. I yes, couldn't Agent see Ross, the point. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't see the point of Agent Ross being in this movie aside from like a book plot. Like, okay, maybe sort of like a punchline for jokes and uh, a plot device that gives them some information about Killmonger's past that they could not have had otherwise. So those, like, that was my immediate thing. But now now that you put it this way, yes, I, I sort of understand what you're saying. They, they needed to have Agent Ross there to represent um, a group who have systematically, well, yes, uh, destroyed uh, so many governments for... I'm assuming patriotic purposes, but yeah. <laughs> let's not go there. But but it also, I mean, it all, and it, and also like especially in this context when it's a country that has been basically living like a hermit this whole time, it gives an yeah. extra punch to like why it's been so important to you know like T'Challa's forefathers to be so impervious and so hidden from the outside world because the reality is like yeah once I mean. He's made the decision at the end of this movie to, you know, open up the conversation and open up trade and stuff. But, like, you think that these other governments are not going to suddenly come for this country now that they know what they actually hold in their possession? Like, that's exactly. just reality. Yeah. I, I can't, because, if, um, and I can't, like, when I, uh, <clears throat> after the <laughs> credits rolled and I had a moment to, like, breathe. 
that that kept um, uh, that kept bugging me because now that the chala is opening up the borders, people are gonna want to come in and see this vibranium mound. Sooner or later, they're gonna send in spies. Look, these people, if they start taking in refugees, then uh, they are going to also have to allow other people to come in. It just the secret is going to be out. People are going to try and exploit them. And can Wakanda protect themselves? Like uh, Lupita Nyong'o's Nakia was so convinced that Wakanda is powerful and strong enough to protect themselves and protect others. Like that's a quote from the movie. But is it Wakanda never actually has had to protect itself from an outside invasion because they have been isolationists? It, it's kind of naive to believe that they would not immediately be sort of like I don't know surrounded by you know, I don't I don't know yeah armies trying to them. <laughs> hyenas yeah. hyenas yeah yeah for sure no I guess I guess part of it is also that um, he he has realized by the end of the movie that they're not going to be able to keep the outside world out anymore for much longer anyway so it might as well be on their own terms because in today's world like the way that technology has advanced and information has advanced and like the ease with which people can travel all over the world and information can travel. Like it's not really realistic for them to stay hidden much longer. Right. So they might as well stay, you know, start out strong, gather some allies because they probably can't do it on their own, but if they have powerful allies and if they, you know, make the U S one of their allies, which is, you know, like an uncomfortable bedfellow, but they have a lot of power and they can give you that kind of backing if you do something for them in exchange like it's it's not a perfect solution but you have to if you're going to live in the yeah, world start somewhere yeah right exactly and you're right like Wakabi points that out uh, once Killmonger uh, takes the throne that, that in their very first meeting he points out that the world is getting smaller and uh, soon there's going to be the conqueror and the conquered and I would rather be the former he has a point there like um which brings me to Wakabi, a, a character that I was, that I didn't think that they gave too much screen time to, uh, Daniel Kaluuya is Wakabi, yet they did such a good job of unveiling his motivation, like it just a few scenes and, and yeah, you knew so much about why he made the choices he did. Now, I, 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 I am not completely convinced that, um, 30 years ago, he lost his parents and yes, he was feeling uh, betrayed by uh, T'Chaka, T'Challa's father, uh, for not catching uh, Claw. Yes, I get that. But was that enough to turn him against his best friend and essentially run off into the field to kill him? Um, Not super convinced about that. But I can see how he would take Eric Killmonger's side when he came into their country and uh, with a, a, a sort of a radically different political opinion that, you know, he was suddenly yeah, in yeah. power to execute. So, wow, that was a long sentence. I hope it made some sense. <laughs> no, no, it made sense. And um, speak, since we're speaking of the characters, let's talk about the women in this movie because they were ah! such a huge part of why I loved it. Oh, oh my boy! gosh. Oh boy, man, I did not expect that. What? I just, I, I know, I, I know, I, I realize Shuri, Shuri was amazing. Shuri is amazing. Shuri is so amazing. But Okoye, I, I think I have like the biggest girl crush on her. My God, that woman. Yeah, She's okay. amazing. You're yeah, gone. I mean, well, what is it? What an, a beautiful thing, right? That we don't have to have one woman and we can have like 
four or five awesome women that we don't have to choose between because we get to have all of them like that. Right. And they are so unique. Each of them have different personalities, different points of view, and they have points of view, like their own points of view. None of them are sort of arranging themselves behind their respective men and sort of following their, like supporting their opinions. No, they have their own conflict and their own convictions. And how beautiful is it that the first time uh, Tachala's romantic interest, Nakia, was introduced, they immediately showed us that Nakia had her own mind and that was why the relationship was not working right now because T'Challa had to be the king and Nakia could not support his policies. She wanted to go out and help and T'Challa, you know, is a traditionalist until now and he couldn't do that. It's just, I love that. Like right off the bat, you know that Nakia has her own mind. And then and he respects Okoye. that mind. Yeah, yeah and he respects clearly. and he respects all the women in his life and he's basically nothing without them. Like if he didn't have Shuri's I mean, yes, he's a very you know, upstanding and dignified person, but like Shuri's the one that provides all of his tech and you know, she's you know, like I said this in my review, but she's not the guy in the chair, but the girl in the driver's seat. Like literally, she drives yeah. his escape vehicle, she gives oh, him all these it. new toys. Yeah, and then like she roasts him at the same time. Like his mom, his mom is there. She's awesome. Like Nakia is there. You know, like he has all these women kind of. They support him, but they also keep him in check when he needs it. Absolutely, and 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 let's talk about Shuri for a second again. Shuri in the comics, um, from what I've seen, again I've not read this extensively. I I just right before Black Panther came out, I I was sort of like looking through a few issues, and from what I could see, Shuri was mostly. A very feminine, um, I, I think someone uh, said temple going character. And yes, yeah. that's exactly what she was in the comics from, from the few uh, the, uh, pages that I read. It just, she was not this Shuri. And, and the, 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 uh, what do you call it? Uh, the, the technological wizard in the family was T'Challa in the comics. Yeah. And here it's, I love this. Like he, he he comes in that he clearly designed his own suit. Remember, so he he is he he does have tech, technological expertise, one assumes. Um, but then he comes in and she's like, "This is your old suit, like functional, but you know, like old." Right. I, right. <laughs> that, was, that was so good. It just. Yeah, as someone who has a much younger sister who constantly tells me that I'm old, I can very much relate to that. Oh my god, it's just that entire scene in the lab when he he, uh, is punching the new suit and the suit punches him back. She's like, he's like, why are you videotaping? She's like, for research purposes. (laughs) I'm like, oh, you know what's going to happen. Oh, Oh, that was delightful. So yeah, it's just, I love what they did with Shuri's character. Also, just essentially think about it. T'Challa could not have won the final battle scene without Shuri. Shuri was the one who was sort of, she was in the battlefield, literally fighting with her panther claws, or whatever they are called, those amazing uh, things. And and she was also telling Everett Ross what to do, how to yeah. sort of like control the, the plane that was shooting down those, those Oh, the weapons. weapons the, yeah, the, yeah. The carrying the weapons to other countries. Yeah, the weapon carriers. And it just, like, she was basically masterminding the entire thing. That was, that was, like, imagine if she was not there. The, 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 
T'Challa would have lost. Okay, is all I have to say about this. He wouldn't have even and, been able to escape from Korea. No, and, and, yeah, and like, if hurt. he ha- if he had fallen off that falls and and Mbaku had taken him up to his lair and put him on ice, and then Nakia hadn't come with the the purple bulb of life. What was <laughs> the heart shaped herb. Yeah. <laughs> if I like your name better. <laughs> That's what if I'm calling her from now on. <laughs> if she if she hadn't if she hadn't gone back and stolen uh, that uh, and come there, I think he, he would have just died. Yeah, would he have lived? No, he totally would not have lived. So it's again, as you said, without Okoye and uh, Shuri and 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 Nakia, he would not even have. And also, I guess Everett Ross because he helped to. He would not have gotten out of South Korea. It just Man, it just—I love that this is supposedly his origin story, but it's actually Wakanda's origin story. Like Wakanda, as the modern world will now see it. Yeah, and it also makes a really good comparison. In a in a sense, these two cousins are kind of mirrors of each other, right? Where, but yeah. that's one of the huge differences between them is that T'Challa has been surrounded by all these people who have been supporting him and helping him, and kind of you know that he kind of talks to and they, they they give him their opinions and they kind of and they figure out what they want to do and their family and he's mm-hmm. alone and he's been fighting alone his whole life you know Killmonger has been fighting alone and in a very hostile environment where he feels like he can't trust or rely on anyone like you know that scene where he eats the arch the heart shape the um, purple bulb of life <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he sees his dad and his dad's like you know um, I don't remember what his dad says but he says like everyone dies around here. He like he's a, li- a little boy again. His, yeah, his, like, his dad says what? No tears for me. And the right. boy is like everyone dies around here. And the dad's like look what a, look at what I've done. Like mm-hmm. neither of us can go back now. So. But it's so like that line just got me so in the heart because it's it's true. He was just he was abandoned by his his uncle and then he had to live his whole life not only being alone like a regular orphan would be in you know a low-income neighborhood in a society that's you know prejudiced against people who have your color of skin but also having that image in his mind and knowing that there's a world out there that was better and where he would have been safe and you know happy and taken care of and where he had a family but that world rejected him so of course oh, yeah. he turned out to be so bitter and violent and angry and and uncompromising, you know. See, I think you're still feeling layers of this character. Like, it's just, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> this character is incredible. I, yeah. My yeah. cousin actually wrote this really good piece. He lives in Australia and he writes, um, but he wrote this uh, piece about why Killmonger is actually the real hero of Black Panther. Yeah. We can we can link that too. It's quite interesting. It talks about a lot of this stuff too. So the music, ugh, how good oh, was the music? You. The music was so amazing. It's so refreshing to have music that sounds not like it's been done to death a hundred times. I, I, I keep, there are, um, I have friends who love um, music from Marvel and DC. They, they have uh, like I, the original soundtracks in, in their uh, ears all the time. They're listening on repeat to these heroic themes. And that's great, but like aside from Wonder Woman's uh, theme song, I just I didn't in, in recent years all of these things more or less sound the same to me. I like, agree. 
yeah. there was something uh, amazing and and memorable about the original superman uh, theme for instance but can anybody really <coughs> remember what the superman theme in the latest movies were i mean let's not talk about the movies themselves but just the theme because they had amazing composers working on these so it's not it just that and and, and the same with avengers the sound is so generic mundane, generic yeah, yeah. it's very generic also a really good youtube video explaining why and like sort of speculating i will link moving on it just this is and isn't is it because they have moved to a different continent and they have a whole new uh, world of music to take inspiration for from is is that why it's so different the just the background scores okay not even mm. like the main themes yes. the, like in the, in the casino scene for instance when the the camera focuses on okoye and she is fighting off i don't know some seven people with her spear, <laughs> with her and, spear. yeah and there is this this constant chuk 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 i don't even know what what is what is being saying what what, what they're saying but Ryan Coogler in in that Vanity Fair video uh, explains that that's basically the Dora Milaje of uh, of uh, war cry of sorts you know it it's it's a thing so it's in it's so for her it's it's a specific theme for her so when the camera is focusing on her that 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 theme starts and i got goosebumps i didn't even know why i was getting goosebumps i mean she was amazing the way she was moving and the way the camera was following her but it just every single time these 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 Uh, these these tracks would start i i i don't think i've ever felt like they are supposed to evoke emotion in you and my god did they evoke emotion in me here it it's right. not just the plot but the way they mix the music within these moments within these scenes i mean they elevated scenes that otherwise would have been good but not great the basic marvel they, action they, sequence right with exactly. basic marvel action sequence background music that you it kind of serves its purpose to make make the mo- the scene kind of move and go but like once it's over you don't even re- remember the music but with this it's like it gives this flavor and this feeling and this like soundscape and like oh. like you said it's so specific to each character because then you have like when killmonger does his like stock of doom and he has that oh. like super cool like oh hip hop kind yeah. of background oh and he has his own music and like T'Challa has his own music and sure yeah, like they all have their own themes and it just and like it depending on where you are the music changes and depending on what it's just so good it's so good and it and it blends this like you know this pan african sound with the you know like the very like oakland kind of hip hop yeah. it's just so good it's so good and- it it adds so much to the world building it, it i ha- i had no idea like i knew about it theoretically but this is the first time i'm watching music give dimensions to a physical world and it was like the waterfall sound the 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 the, the warrior falls where they were having the fights there there was a very specific music being used over there it mm-hmm. just and now now these songs whenever they play i get those your know, visions of those moments in my eyes in front of my eyes and it's it's a facet of the world not just that scene it right. is the feeling that i had when when that scene was playing in front of my eyes it's just it's I like a so, feeling you get from the star wars music right yes yes it's exactly. so specific to that movie and it gives you these specific type of feelings and you don't have to i mean that doesn't even have any words or vocals but like this is in this in a very different kind of way but it does that same thing of like it just brings you into that world as soon as you hear it it's amazing which brings me to 
the hero, I guess, of uh, the other hero. Like the music is definitely hero of, of, of this movie, but the protagonist, which is Chadwick Boseman, we haven't actually spoken much about him. And the reason for that might actually be because it felt as if the writers um, and, and the director they deliberately like this there was definitely an arc happening uh t'challa going from sort of a questioning what tra- traditionalist view to someone who sees that maybe you know the the his ancestors were wrong and he has to be brave enough to take a new step in a new world but um while that transition, this particular transition isn't exactly a super complicated character arc. I, I think T'Challa would have reached that conclusion regardless of what happened in in in, the, in this movie, because he had Nakia arguing with him about this anyway. And as Wakawi pointed out, the world was getting smaller anyway. Sooner or later, he would have had to make this choice. And also, and also, like it's it's you can tell when he talks to Nakia that. They've been having this conversation for a while, but he's so yeah, yeah, but he's so set in like the ways that he grew up with and things that his father told him, and like it takes that moment of understanding the betrayal that his father um, committed against um, you know his own family members and 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 the lie that his father told in order to preserve that narrative of who they are as a people that he had it kind of shocked him out of that complacency and made him really re-examine what exactly what he was doing. And then it was like it took that in order for all those arguments and all those other people's words to really penetrate him and for him to really reconsider what he was doing. And so, like, in in a sense, it was Wakanda's story, but it was also his own personal journey of, like, what kind of a man do I want to be? Like, what kind of a king do I want to be, you know? So I, I know that theoretically that is where the script was going, but here is uh, one place where I actually had an issue with the script. Uh, T'Challa's change happened... For me, too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I would have loved it if there, if he had actually, on his own, physically gone and seen what uh, black men and women suffer in 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 other countries or even in other parts of Africa. The the kind of pain that he could, because he seemed to be very removed from it. While mm-hmm. Nakia was in the thick of things, while Eric had grown up in that world, he had always like he he was a prince. And right. he had been brought up like a prince, so he was very far removed from actual suffering. He knew about it theoretically. So I would have loved for him to actually sort of get a real glimpse of that and not just feel bad for his cousin who was abandoned by his father and feel betrayed by his lie. Because when he's shouting at, at his ancestors that you were wrong, you were all wrong, why? Why does he think that they were all wrong? It was because they had kept Wakanda isolated that they were where they were. So clearly they were not wrong. And yes, his, what his father did was horrible. But again, it was to protect the country and their way of life. So it wasn't wrong. Why does he think that they were wrong? I, I was just not convinced how he went from traditionalist, someone who was defending his father's point of view, who had probably defended his ancestors' point of view to Nakia for ages. And Nakia seems the kind of person who would have argued and debated mm. every aspect of this. So this, this was something, this was an argument he was utterly familiar with. Why did he suddenly think that they were wrong? I was not convinced. Because he was never shown to have actually seen the suffering that he suddenly seemed to feel empathy for. Yeah. So, yeah, that, no, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a legitimate 
I, I guess it was one of those things that the actually that instead of showing, they kind of told us. Um, yeah. So yeah. it was they, they not of, as well which, done as everything else. Yeah. Which is which is <clears> kind <throat> of why I think black because they were giving so much um, uh, screen time and so and, and and so much opportunity for, for development to all the other characters that I think Black Panther like T'Challa himself suffered a bit because of it. Like relatively think about it, which are the characters you think you spend most time with? while watching the movie, T'Challa actually wasn't the one who comes ahead, comes out ahead when you think of simple runtime, like, like each each character given a certain number of scenes. Yeah, it was more of an ensemble cast more than yeah, him being right? a hero. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, so his storyline, I think, got a, a little, uh, what do you guys call it? Short, short changed? Yeah, short changed. <laughs> <laughs> I so, um. Yeah, no, and, and on the one hand, I actually don't mind that because I'm, I, I think this movie really needed to establish the other characters because we've already seen the amazingness of Black Panther in Civil War. Nobody's going to forget that intro. Mm-hmm. And, and he is clearly going to be a major part of Marvel going forward. So right. we are not, we, we are, yeah, there's going to be a lot of T'Challa. But, so I am, I have no complaints about the way they handled T'Challa. It just, uh, uh, you know, uh, storyline here. It just, that, if you were going to tell me that, that this was the arc that his character was going to, um, you know, uh, go through, I'm not convinced that he landed on the other side of the rainbow. Right. Yet a changed man for <laughs> the right reasons. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Like, for me, it was enough, but I can see why it wouldn't feel like we saw everything that we needed to see. Um, yeah. If we're talking about issues with the movie, I have a couple. Mm-hmm. Even though, on the whole, I really loved it. Um, one thing was, there's that scene where he goes to rescue Nakia from um, Nigeria, where she's, I'm guessing, there's some kind of, like, Muslim terrorist group that have kidnapped all these women because they're all wearing, like, these big, you know, yeah, headscarf things on top of them. And, like, I'm not, I don't have a problem with her being part of this rescue mission because, like, obviously stuff like this is happening and, you know, like, women are being treated badly. But I just, I was a little bit, um, I didn't love the way where, like, he drops in and then they, when they are fighting, she, like, rips off her scarf and then all the other women also, like, they take off their, like, over garments. And so it's, it's really like playing into that narrative of, like, you know, Muslim women need to be liberated from their hijabs, apparently. Yeah. And it's, it's like a symbol of physical and, you know, actual freedom. It was a really small moment, and it, I wasn't, like, super bothered by it, but it was just kind of those, I was just like, really? Do we need that? Especially considering how, you know, how, how concerned this movie is about the American details. life struggle. Exactly, details. And, and how concerned this, this movie is, not just with Africa, but about, you know, the African-American struggle. And, like, there have been some very important, very heroic, um, you know, black Muslims that have been yeah. very, you know, integral to the civil rights movement, and they didn't really talk about that. So, if you're gonna portray that but not acknowledge the other, that just, like in a movie that was so good with representation on the whole, mm. that just bothered me a little bit. Um, and this, and the second thing that kind of, I, I wasn't mad that it was there because I can, I can appreciate like a complicated setup and a complicated hero, but the fact that that um, T'Challa is the king. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this 
this society that in other ways is so exemplary is actually a monarchy where even though, yeah, people from other royal families get to challenge the new king when he is crowned, but ultimately still you're being ruled by a hereditary monarchy that's passed down through, you know, quote unquote, royal blood. And even though they're so concerned about having like justice and and the rising up of oppressed people and, you know, like being a, you know, being a good ruler and all that, like no one really talks about the fact that it's still a monarchy. And when Killmonger comes onto the throne, he comes legitimately. So obviously there's some kind of (laughs) flaw in their system. Um, But like his struggle is not to, fix the system, I guess, it's to get the right king back on the throne. So I don't have a problem with them, with their monarchy being set up that way, because obviously, like, that's just the way that their country ended up being governed. And we don't need the this country to be perfect, because no country is perfect. But I would have liked, you know, just one line from one character, just acknowledging that fact. And we didn't which, get that. Which, now that, you, now that you have pointed this out, it occurs to me that... Um, for for a film that uh, is so clearly against oppression, right? Um, this the, the way they have set up the the winning of the throne. Uh, Tashana has clearly been trained as a warrior and, and trained as a prince, as an administrator from a very young age. Like he was already Black Panther when his father was alive. He was clearly being given that herb because he he had the uh, the power of the Black Panther and he already had the suit that he had made himself and that was when his father was alive. So he was clearly already, you know, he, he had the mantle of the Black Panther even before he became king. So everybody already expected him to become the king. That's why he had come back, right? Yeah. My point is that that whole thing about any other tribe of sort of um, challenging him and taking the throne from him, that seemed more of a charade because it's not, I mean... I mean, think about it. This guy has been trained for the position. So if it does happen, if somebody else does come around and challenge like um, Mbaku did, for instance, everybody mm-hmm. was super shocked because I suppose yeah. tradi- traditionally it's polite not to challenge the right, exactly. king to be It was clearly a ritual. No one expected him to actually show up going, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> which is awesome, by the way. But yeah. So uh, that is just... That that was clearly something nobody was expecting. But Mbaku did come and imagine if Mbaku had won. This guy would have had no training in 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 running a monarchy. At least Killmonger, he's had some training where he knows how uh, uh, governments function, at least how to destroy them, which is what he ended up doing. But uh, try to do. Yeah, I mean, Mbaku is clearly, he is the leader of his own people, so yes, he does know how to, but own, it's a very different type of society. It, it, it is, a, it's, a, it's not just that it's a different type of society, like, think about the way, like, senators in your country, they uh, are, are clearly powerful people who have, who know how to run a state, I'm assuming, and then they run for president, so does that necessarily mean that they already have the qualifications to be a president? There are so many other states, uh, such a different set of jobs. I don't know how your country works, but I mean, I think that would be more analogous to a governor, and a lot of former governors have gone on to be president, so... Right, right, so governors, replace replace that analogy with governors. So, yeah. (laughs) I get your point, yeah, yeah. It's just that this, this was, this is a, uh, there was a clear disbalance in the power here, the the royal family is clearly privileged, T'Challa is clearly a very privileged 
prince whose upbringing sort of like already gave him uh, 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 an edge over everybody else and isn't that what we talk about when we talk about uh, discrimination where one person has an edge over the other person and then you bring them out into the field to battle and you say that hey this is a f- this is fair play this is mm-hmm. sort of equal grounds but it's not equal grounds one person has been trained since childhood and the other person has not it's yeah. clearly not an equal ground. So, and even yeah, if, is, you know, even if Mbaku had yeah. won and become the ruler, become the king, like, he also comes from a royal family in his own tribe. Like, the only other people who right. were given a chance to challenge him were also, you know, li- specifically, explicitly of royal blood. So, yeah. like, a regular sheep herder <laughs> is never going to get a chance <laughs> to challenge the king to do battle, you know, to become the king. Like, that's not going to happen. Precisely. And the, one other thing that uh, a friend of mine pointed out, and I don't know, while I was watching the movie, it didn't occur to me. It was so amazing to see this elite force of women um, supporting the king, uh, the Dora Milaje. It yes. was amazing. But that's the only place where women warrior were, were. Like the other forces that we saw, like for instance, Mbaku's uh, men who had come out, they were all men. Uh, think about Bukabi's uh, border patrol, they were all men. So clearly it's not a society where, you know, women, like these are different tribes, mind you. Okoe's, uh, uh, you know, Okoe's Dora Milaje is her elite group and in in and of itself it's a tribe. And and you have Bukabi's border patrol where there are women, but the, the women are more sort of uh, minding the earth. It's the, the men are the warriors. Yeah. I feel like I saw in when in the end when Mbaku brings his his troops, like I feel like I saw some women among those men as well. I feel like Did they you? were actually mixed. Yeah, I don't know. Did you? I don't have a clear oh. memory, but I feel like I saw one at least one woman. So I'm not sure. I'll have to watch it again and, and okay. you know but check again, that. Like, like, but like yeah, he, I, I understand what you mean. Yeah, but I it's. I, it's like, yeah. I'm saying that, of course, it's, it's a flawed society. As you said, it doesn't have to be a perfect world. And also, it doesn't even have to be a bulletproof world building. It, it just has to be convincing, which it totally was. Yeah. One of the things you have in the comic that I was reading about um, is that, like, especially in the recent issues, uh, Black Panther and the other relevant, uh, the main protagonists of this world, um, they are trying to change Wakanda from a traditionalist society where certain sections are never given opportunity to one where, you know, the, the, the stage is a little more equal for everyone. So, for sure. you know, it, it's, it's a work in progress, but that's what you love. You don't want a perfect, brilliant paradise island. You, you want a, a work in progress. But and one, it, yeah, that's grounded in reality. And, and yeah. I feel like there was a nod to that when M'Baku comes to challenge T'Challa and he's like, you've given over the technological development to this young girl who has no respect for tradition. So obviously yeah. Shuri is kind of representing that new young generation who's like, yeah, you know, there could be better ways to do things that you old people yeah. don't think about. <laughs> you should listen to me. And she's like, you know, she's the smartest person in the Marvel universe. So, um, you know, they listen oh. to what she has to say. And how much are you looking forward to her meeting Tony Stark? I can't. I wait. cannot wait. Yes, she that is going to, to do. Please. Yes, he's going to get the smackdown of his life, <laughs> and I'm so here for it. So shall we? Uh, shall we just wrap up with some final thoughts then? Yes. Um, my final thoughts are just I don't. I have so many feelings about this movie. I actually thought that recording it a second time, I would not be able to sort of, you know 
feel the same amount of enthusiasm but pretty much from the moment we started talking it just i i still get goosebumps when i think of certain scenes from that movie so clearly this is going to be living An in my heart for a long time <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. i absolutely agree and it was it was so beautiful to watch it was more than just a movie for me i i i was very moved and i was very touched and i was very hopeful i was talking to a couple of other people on twitter and like i don't think i never imagined that i would see this kind of movie especially not as like a hollywood blockbuster with this much money and this much you know money put into promotion and this kind of budget and this kind of world building with this kind of cast like i didn't think that that was possible and now that i've seen that that's possible like I have hope that you know we might get a Kamala Khan movie in my lifetime which I didn't think would be oh possible. Oh my god, I would love that. Before I died. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. You know, and before I was like, ah, oh, that's never going to happen. But I mean, I never thought this would happen either. So, there's hope for sure. I'm excited to see what's going to come next. Now that they have given us this, they would better give us a lot more of this. Yes. Anything else except Wakanda forever? No. Bye guys forever and rap. All right, bye guys. Hey there, Anissa again. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of Black Panther, which we're clearly not alone in loving because this movie is a phenomenon that is still breaking records over a month after its release. You can find links to the articles and videos we referenced in the show notes in the episode description. We'd love to hear your thoughts, listeners, about the movie and about the podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at the Kdrama Podcast or email us at starsinourpocket at gmail.com. Please subscribe to Stars in My Pocket on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'd like to give a very special shout-out to Rin Listened, our first-ever reviewer on iTunes, Thank you so much for your kind words, Rin Listened. You made our month. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Annyeong!